Welcome back to The Drop, this is Michael Saramella, and if you are looking for a breakdown of everything that happened in Portugal this week, it's unfortunately not in this episode. Buck and I are going to touch on things that happened in Portugal, but the full breakdown you can hear from Stace and Snake. I'm not sure if the episode is already live or if it's going to go live after this episode, but you can find it soon on the same podcast channel. This week, though, Buck and I are going to talk about a few other things, including the greatest surf movie in the universe. We're also going to talk about Brazil's talent issue. They have a huge problem right now, and I'm not sure how they're going to solve it, but Buck and I are going to break it down to the best of our abilities. We're also going to talk about another surf film that it may not be the greatest surf film in the universe, but it did cost nearly a million dollars to make. It's going to be dropping soon, and Buck and I are going to discuss whether the price tag is worth it. We're also going to talk about Luke Shepardson, the guy who won the Eddie. I know it's a little late, but guess what? We just did a profile on him. We made a little film explaining who Luke is, where he came from, and why his story is so unique. So all of that, plus Dakota Walters is going to explain how he broke his ankle while getting a 10-point ride. It's all happening in this week's episode, so let's drop in. Well, hello, hello, Mikey. We've got much on this week, don't we? We sure do. It's been a good one, though. It's been a good one. I myself, I witnessed with my own two eyes the Portuguese final of the Mayo Pro. What did you think? It looked pretty good from here. I think my favorite moment was during the semis when there was the overlapping thing. And I know you've done the research on the overlapping thing. It's coming. It's coming, folks. Let's just hold off for a minute. But I think I began to already start to pay closer attention to those heats and like how I like them as a fan. And there's a moment during the semis where it just felt like nonstop waves for like 10 minutes. Like it's, it's crazy watching people surf that wave. I think I just have more context there than any other wave on tour. Um, I've just surfed it more than any other wave on tour. Like even when I was in France, like the banks would change every year. So it wasn't the same thing. And just seeing how people dealt with it because it's so like, you kind of know where the wave is going to come in, but you don't know which peak it's going to be on at which time. Like it tends to break in the same spot, and there's so much decision making during that semi. And even like at one point, I think it was Joao started paddling on one peak and then just stopped halfway through and sprinted over to another. And it was just this like gunfire, crazy bang, bang, bang semifinal. And uh, that was a very cool moment to observe in person. But the finals are awesome too. Yeah, it was really, really special just to one, finally get some good waves, and two, to see the people who won win. Like, Joao has had a crazy year. Um, obviously, he made two semis before this event, and then going to the final against Jack, you'd have to say he was the underdog, and he sure didn't look like it, though. Like, he just made every right decision out there while Jack was, like, sort of out of character, struggling. And and then you go to the other heat, and freaking Courtney drops a nine off the drop, and then Katie somehow claws her way back, just like she did all event long. So 17 years old, getting your first CT victory. Don't have to worry about the cut anymore. Now you're thinking, hmm, top five, is that realistic? And yeah, there was, it was a really, really cool event. The president couldn't hug her because she's underage. <laughs> <laughs> is that, was that the official ruling? No, I made that up, but I'm going with it. <laughs> oh man it was just a cool event because especially in like the betting side because it was just if you just bet the underdogs the entire time you probably did really well 
And it's one of those places where you can just do that because it's so random and so finicky and so tidal and so con- like rips and everything. You just anybody could win any heat. Freaking Chris Moore lost to somebody with a, a front pad. Um, it was yeah, it was it was awesome. Yeah, she put front pads on her back, <laughs> Yolanda, and she's riding my buddy's board label. Um, uh, what's it called? Sorry, Fatum. Yeah, Fatum. Fatum. Yeah, my, that's Fatum. my buddy uh, Tomas. Fatum. He lives here in Costa Rica with Sick. me. Sick. That was really cool. That was fun to watch. And then on this very program, I gave people the Joan Duru pick. I said, I don't know where. I don't know. I knew where. Super Tubos. But I didn't know when. I just knew that he'd take down somebody in a crucial moment. And your boy was right. Felipe Toledo. Sorry, buddy. I watched that one from the beach, too. Me, along with 51,000 other people, that was the official statistic that day. It was Sunday. 51,000 people there, they were saying. Uh, I've never seen that many people at a surf contest. I think it probably had to do with the fact that, like, you knew all the big names. Like, you knew you were getting Kelly that day. You knew you were getting Gabe. You knew you were getting John John. Um, and then the the one cool thing I thought the league did is that they were so weird about calling it the final day, like, until pretty much the finals were happening, which... I don't think it helped with the crowd turnout that final day. Like, there's probably a few thousand people dispersed throughout, but it just showed that they were really in it for getting the best waves for the surfers. So I thought that was cool. One, one part of me was like, because I didn't know if I was driving up, it's only like 30 minutes. So I was like, are they, aren't they? They're giving mixed signals in the broadcast sometimes. Like, you know, they'd be talking about one thing, talking about how hard it is, and then talking about how good it is. You're like, what do you do? Um, so probably hurt the attendance that day, but hey, they had 51,000 people there on the weekend. And, um, yeah, I think it just showed they were in it for the waves, and they got them. They sure were. All right, well, let's get into the news. And first up, something that is definitely not made by the WSL. Yeah, let's get straight to that. Mick fanning on a unicorn, bags of dicks, and a shocking script read by Surfing's Biggest Stars. Folks, welcome to the greatest surf movie in the universe. Um, you're probably confused at that title and i honestly don't think that confusion is going to lift for a little while if you watch the trailer which is now playing on our site in the story that bears that title i'm still confused but i'm so in (laughs) i'm so in how could you not be it looks fucking incredible like they got all these big name surfers to basically do voiceovers for something that if you read the article in the interview with um von blakey and nick paulette who made this thing they didn't show any of the surfers the actual script of the film they just gave them (laughs) their lines to read so they're like completely out of context reading these like absurd lines and presumably laughing the entire time but then you see it all put together and the funny thing is when i started watching the trailer for this the two of the first people that you hear on there are joe turpel and ronnie and i was like oh wow this is not what i expected when the wsl talked about doing scripted content and then you see a, a <laughs> unicorn fucking a horse with its horn. And I was like, oh, this probably isn't the WSL. <laughs> this might not be the league. I don't think that's box to box. Horn to box, if you will. So anyway, yeah. What, how can we even explain this any further? Okay. You, you named the two names. Vaughn Blakey, Nick Paulette. Um, I hope you all know and love Vaughn. Ain't That Small Podcast and just a surf media figure in Australia since Dope Youth. Uh, great guy and then Nick Paulette he was Wilco's filmer for a while filmer and editor and especially during that period when 
it was just such a high point. Wilco was just getting all those weird suits made. He was doing the funny stuff. He, it was just the most fun I think we've seen somebody have on tour in a, in a very long time. Nick was his sidekick that whole time with the camera, making all those funny things. Um, what was it called? Brunch? What was their brunch thing? Out to brunch. Out to brunch. Out to brunch, yeah. So you may be familiar with Nick's work, Out to Brunch. It seemed like his idea in the beginning he was the most passionate about it and he kind of had to get vaughn to sign on even though they've known each other for a long time and have worked together in the past and vaughn seemed like he was taking a while to come around to it nick just seemed to have some crazy ideas it was right when covid was kicking off and everybody got locked in their houses and they weren't used to getting locked in their houses so i mean all of a sudden you got this guy telling you he wants to make a surf movie at a, a stop motion thing with weird vo and it would take you a little while to warm up to that but it sounds like a moment happened where Vaughn just kind of got it and it clicked and it was just, they went as hard as they could. And it really seems like they went as hard as they could. And that's fucking fantastic. Yeah. So it's a stop motion film. It was pretty much made in Nick's garage. Uh, at one point they actually got a studio to sign on and basically produce the whole Incredible. thing. Incredible. Yeah. So it's, I love it. I mean, I think just, it seemed like they just had no regard for any idea of a line in terms of crossing it's just let's just go and it's incredible i've heard like i'm just listening to some like random comedy podcasts and stuff like that like this idea that we lost comedy films for a while people were too afraid to cross a line that as a result the genre of comedy kind of suffered and now it seems like the pendulum's swimming back and we're gonna hopefully like mainstream see some movies that really push it again and find the line maybe go over it this seems like that in surfing just like shit got too serious for a while let's just bring it back by going really far the other way and i'm so here for it world premiere april 3rd it's touring in australia after that and stay tuned to step premium because we'll be giving you we'll get some surprises for you on there just stay tuned brazil has a talent problem mikey this is your story these are your takeaways from the Portugal event. I know we just kind of talked talked some shop in the intro about what was going on that day, but now it's time to talk about what we made out of them. So your first takeaway was that Brazil has a talent problem. Elaborate. They sure do. Um, they've got way too much of it. And it's a problem not just for the rest of the world who might win to, want to win a world title at some point in the near future, but actually for themselves, because this is an Olympic qualification year on the championship tour. As we know, the they're basically you can get two spots per country, per gender, from the WSL, from the CT. So right now, Brazil has three men in the top five, and five in the top ten, and then a few in the kind of like, you know, low teens and stuff as well. And basically, they have way too many surfers that are good enough that should qualify for the Olympics, but because of the rules that are set up by the IOC and ISA, et cetera, they're not going to be able to. And it's especially interesting when you look at, right now, three events into the tour, who those two surfers would be. So it would be Joao Chianca, who's sitting in second place by like a long shot. He's a, he's a way ahead of the number three surfer who is Felipe Toledo, the defending world champion. Behind Felipe is Caio. A little bit thereafter is Iago, then Gabby, then Italo. Keep in mind, Gabby and Italo were the two surfers who competed for Brazil back in 2020-2021. Italo is the defending gold medalist. 
right now he's like way outside of Olympic qualification. He's like not even in, in the discussion. So yeah, they have a lot of stuff to basically figure out over the course of the year. And fortunately, there's no real politics that come into this. I hope it's really just based on performance. Who finishes, uh, you know, the top two Brazilians in the year will get those two spots. But the one interesting thing to note there is that it's the two top Brazilians post WSL finals. Um, it would be pretty easy to see more than two Brazilians making it to the top five at the end of the year come Tahiti. And that basically means that if three Brazilians get into lowers, it's the two who finish highest that will move on to the Olympics, not the two who go into it the highest. So say, for instance, Felipe Toledo finishes second in the year. Joao Chianca finishes third in the year. Gabriel Medina finish, finishes fifth in the year going into lowers. But in lowers... Medina wins that first heat against the fourth seed. Then he beats Joao, and who knows if he goes on to beat Felipe, but just by beating Joao in that heat, Gabby would take that Olympic spot. So there's a lot of things to watch here, but I basically, I just feel bad. I feel like it's it's sort of unjust to Brazilians and to surfing as a whole that because they're so deep in talent, they're not going to be able to display um, kind of, you know, at least a few of their best surfers in one of the biggest events in surfing. Well, they can at least, like, I think they have to go hard for that third slot, right? Like, the way that the women's USA team and the Japan men team won in Huntington last fall, like, I think that's this year's World Games. It's an upcoming, upcoming ISA World Games where the winning team in each gender gets that extra third slot if they can fill it. Um, and you'd have to think they'll go all in on that, but I almost wonder how that will factor in. Like, that takes all the best surfers showing up and working together and they're competing against each other for that slot. So it's almost like I could almost like, we're still far out from this. We're only three events in, but like what if it unfolds in a way where somebody almost has to do somebody else a favor to get it done? Like, I'm just wondering how such an individual competition and then having a facet of it be working together will kind of, it's so new, you know, and I could see politics maybe coming into that. It's the Brazilian organization doesn't seem as, as well funded they don't seem to go as hard as some of the other ones i mean there's a reason why adriano went over and coached for italy they have money um with this though like there is a level of just self-preservation because by the time that they're surfing the isa world games the lamore event will have just ended that's the sixth event of the ct season there will be four to go so there's still a lot of, a lot of room for changing so even if you were the top brazilian at that point and you're thinking like hmm do I really want to open up another spot for one of my compatriots? You'd still be thinking, well, in theory, I could still end up the third-ranked Brazilian, especially when you bring into consideration that WSL finals thing. So I would imagine they'd go pretty, pretty hard at it. And I also think that they will go hard at it because of its timing and place in the world. The ISA World Games are going to take place in El Salvador just before the CT in El Salvador. So presumably it would be really easy for them to just already be down there, compete in the ISA and roll straight into the CT. It's a good warm up. It, it, it kind of all makes sense. Um, the part where politics may come in is if Brazil does win, and I'd say it's pretty likely if they have all their top hitters there to win the men's division, then they have to decide who gets that spot. So say Joao and Felipe take those two spots from the CT rankings and then you have a choice to make if you are the, um, you know, the Brazilian director, whoever that is. Do you put our winningest male ever in Gabby Medina in? 
or do you put the reigning gold medalist from the Olympics, Italo Ferrer, in? So yeah, it's it's pretty crazy the the possibilities and situations that could come up. I would love if, because I think with some of those organizations, it's like they were around before the Olympics were really on the table, and I can imagine like what if it's just kind of like an old dog in there with some serious tides, and they just give it to Neko. <laughs> I mean, they could. They could. You're right. They absolutely could. And another person to point out for this situation is also um, Kelly Slater. There's a bit of a Kelly Slater watch going on. So if the U.S. men managed to win in El Salvador, you'd have to think they'd give that spot to Kelly, right? Like just for legacy and even performance at Chopes. Like you'd pretty much put him right there with anyone. Him and John are the best two guys from the States out there for sure. Wow. Yeah, that is... I didn't. I knew we were on Slater Watch 2023, but I didn't think about that. Yeah, wow. You have to. You'd have to if you win that slot. You got to give it to Kelly. There's just no other way. So, what else did you learn? What else did you learn from Portugal? You had some big takeaways here. Yeah. Well, the the other big story I think is the Kelly and Steph situation. They're basically both positioned right now below the cut line, and they both need some decent to really good results in Australia to make it over the cut. So what we did is we went back and looked at last year's cut line, what that number value was that you needed to get you know, inside of it. Um, we're assuming it's going to be around the same point this year, just because all the numbers are the same as far as what uh, you know events are worth and stuff. So in order for Kelly to reach that point, he needs at least a ninth at either Bell's or Margaret's. Um, a safer option would be for him to get a quarter at one of those events or a ninth at both of those events. That would be like pretty much guaranteed that he makes the cut. And then for Steph, it's really daunting. So because the women have so few that make the cut, it's only 10. Um, that number to get through is really high and she's had a really poor start to the season by her standards. So at minimum, she's going to need a quarter and a semi at those two events. Um, but that's, that's like, she could potentially not make it with those results. I'd say a safe result for her is a pair of thirds or a second and a fifth or a first and a ninth. But either way, she's got her work seriously cut out for her. Granted, she's had a lot of success at um, Bell's and even Margaret, she's done pretty well. So she obviously has it in her, um, but it's a really weird situation. Like she's the defending world champion. It would be so strange for the WSL if she didn't make the mid-year cut. It would almost make them have to rethink like, oh, is this legitimate if the person who was in theory the best surfer in the world last year can't even make the mid-year cut the next year and then it brings into question i guess the wsl finals day um undergunned left an interesting comment and said it doesn't really disprove the mid-year cut it disproves the finals day because she numerically wouldn't have even been in that conversation in previous years but just because she made it in the top five she was she obviously went on to win so i don't know there's a lot of layers to this Mm, mm. a lot of layers a lot of minds conspiracy theorists they love minds um so a lot of undermining going on it would just be so weird though like can you imagine if they were just gone from the tour like i couldn't see either of them tackling the challenger series like can you it would just be so weird to see you see like all these sporting greats have like a goodbye tour they go every time they play the last stadium they get this huge turnout and the other team pretty much does a ceremony for them it'll just be so bizarre because you know they'd both have incredible ones all around the world it'd be so strange to not see that so yeah i mean the wsl has a lot of power at the end of the day they could give them 
wild cards into the back half of the year on just an individual event basis. They can also grant a wild card for next season, and they could just give that to them if they wanted to. So there, there are a few different like factors. I'm going to try to talk to Jesse Miley Dyer um, late this week or early next and try to get to the bottom of it along with a few other things. But yeah, that's definitely something that's on our mind. And then the other points from Portugal for me were just that new guard coming in, the Joao Chiancas, you know, Molly Picklum, she didn't do great at this event, but now she's the sole yellow jersey wearer on the women's side. Jack Robinson also is just continuing his incredible form. And Katie Simmers, like I said, got her big win. And the other one is bad marketing is good marketing. That's what we've basically learned from the WSL. It's it's their things that are the most outrageous and strange that we happen to gravitate to. Like we always, we still talk about that old Jeep commercial, the freaking surf the road, <laughs> surf the whatever else. Um, there was that, there was the ladder thing last year that we did a whole article on. Um, there was the, the Havaiana sandal with Strider in Brazil that we posted on our Instagram and it blew up. And now we have a fucking cooler for a perfect 10. Can you imagine surfing that wave that Callum Robson got? And, and and your reward is a fucking cooler? Like, it's just so disproportionate. It's crazy. Like, and I think, like, you could almost say that, like, no reward would make more sense than giving them giving them a cooler. But because it's so absurd, here we are talking about it. So the WSL, they're evil geniuses at bad slash good marketing. Yeah, it's so funny because I feel like if somebody said an air, like, imagine if Griffin got a, a cooler for his 10 last year. I don't think it would have been as much noise people are like oh yeah whatever you get a 10 when you get a yeti when you get a 10 cool that's that's nice whatever move on with your day but i think just like you know that was what a heat or two after kyle said that if he had the potential to wear an inflation vest he would have out there and you just see it and it's just like wave of your life type vibe and it's just like yeah it felt like a weird one for that but like i'd say nine out of ten tens you don't think it's so weird it just that one really popped it off and there you go like perfect like hey they got people talking about it It worked but and even just logistically does he get it in portugal and he has to figure out how to get it back to australia or like how does this work do you see those trophies that's gonna be a harder thing to get back (laughs) jesus true (laughs) plus i can tell you european airport hubs i'm looking at you paris madrid london they're awful with baggage too so Good luck handling that thing back, those monstrous trophies. Good luck. Um, one thing, though, on the Calum thing, like, I get it. I think the the outrage, backlash around it's kind of funny. But to me, the way more offensive thing, and I don't know if they're going to do this again. I think they got rid of it. But the way more offensive thing would be the barrel counter. I know it's a little bit of a stretch, but the barrel counter at Sir French, saying that's the same as what Callum did, is more offensive to me than any bit of a cooler. I know they didn't count seconds for him, but just like a barrel at the surf ranch compared to what Callum did there is just, that is more offensive. That's more offensive as a concept to me. So I just wanted to get that out there. Can Trilogy Volume 2 live up to its 750000 plus dollar price tag? You think they just snuck in one meal at the end there? That took them to like seven hundred and fifty thousand and sixty four dollars, and <laughs> that's what pushed it over the line. Yeah, there's probably like a parking ticket or something. <laughs> it could have been. It could have been just that one thing that add that plus there, you know. Anyway, trilogy TV two, trilogy two. It's coming. The first trilogy, OG trilogy. If you 
if you will, came out in 2006. Of course, it featured Andy Irons, Hodgeborough, and Joel Parkinson, three billabong riders at the time that were all doing some incredible surfing. I remember buying that DVD. Yes, I'm old. I bought a DVD. It was incredible. It was one of those movies. I think they did a great job marketing. I think you like were reading stories about it, and it was advertised in the magazines and all that. And I just remember that thing hit, and that uh, Angels and Airwaves song, which I still don't like, but listen to. It. Oh, I've had a weird relationship that with feeling. that song since the beginning. I don't like it. It's not a song that calls me anyway. I'll still listen to it <laughs> from time to time, and I don't know why. TV two. $750,000 plus price tag because of that one launcher parking ticket. It's coming in the next few months with some luck, and we got the story. Ethan Davis spoke with Andrew McKenzie of Aether Films to get the scoop, and it's very interesting. If you are wondering what that $750,000 budget did besides paid for the launcher parking ticket, Ethan exemplified it really well in the story, so... You may remember some films this year like Glad You Scored or Saturn. The production teams that went on those to Lakey Peak were two and three people respectively. TV2, a team of 15. So the level at which they documented surfing is going to blow some shit out of the water. I am thrilled to see what comes of this. Mikey, what's your thoughts overall? I kind of want to say it's overkill. Maybe, I mean, like 15 people to film three people surfing. I don't know. Like we're in the business of making surf films, right? And 750 is an absurd amount of money to spend on a surf film. I think the biggest one before that and still is John Florence's View from a Blue Moon. I think they spent like 2 million on it. Um, but, you know, that includes a cameo from John C. Riley, like all this incredible footage. And, and the surfing and the footage in that film was amazing. But... Still, I, I don't know. Like I even, I, I basically, I heard some anecdotes that it was actually kind of annoying for Griffin and Seth and Ethan because when the waves turn on, it's, it, the waves turn on and you want to go surfing, you want to run out there and, you, you know, because you don't know how long it's going to last, etc. But when you have this many people that are basically reliant on you and you on them, it's such a slow process. Like every extra person has to forget this and that. And it's like, so I heard that it was like actually kind of tough on the surfers because the waves would be pumping. They'd be like, let's go. And then the guy would be like, oh, wait, I got to get my battery. And the other guy's like, oh yeah, I got to uh, get the boom or whatever it is. So I don't know. I'm interested to see how it comes out. But my take is maybe a little bit on the unnecessary side, but I guess I'm happy to be proven wrong. Mm, mm, I could see that. Yeah, I didn't really think about that point of just how long it would take for a crew of 15 to mobilize just like seeing a wave spit in front of you and something being like do not get tubed until everybody's in position like <laughs> i mean you see surfers in heats not even able to resist sometimes they're like see a wave and they know their heat didn't start yet and they're like fuck i'm going like <laughs> this wave came it's just built into me um so that is a funny idea just like do not go you little fucker but anyway you called the names out ethan ewing griffin cole pinto and seth moniz i could see the overkill side of it but i just think it's cool it's cool to see what this is even going to look like. Like, I feel like maybe we're going to enter a thing. So basically Taylor Steele was making movies for a while. They weren't, you know, they had their formula and they were incredible. Everybody ate them up. Kind of was kind of doing that formula with his own taste for a while. Since then, I feel like surf movies, there's almost been a void in terms of like full length stuff. And there have been some takes for that, like at that, Taylor Steele kind of will just 
sections and every server gets a section thing, but nothing's really filled those shoes. We haven't seen that, and I don't know if we are going back to that. I would like to believe it would still work if somebody went hard at it. I know I'd watch it. Um, Snap does it, I guess, but they're not getting the guys that Taylor Steele was getting and Kai, I don't think. Anyone- Nor the production level. Like it's just, it sounds like it's two different things entirely. Like what they're making here is a proper like production, high production level film, which to your point, yeah, there just hasn't been much of it. And I got to mention the greatest surf movie in the universe again. Like, you know, they had the, the guy who scored that was working on 007 and Mad Max and Luke Hemsworth is in it. It's like, it seems like people are really investing in it again. And even if it doesn't look like what it did with like Taylor and Kai, which to me was like the peak, just that's a personal opinion. I think it's cool to see people really having a swing at this. Yep, absolutely. So um, is there a release date on this one? What we've got is the next few months with some luck. So <laughs> as long as we have some luck, um, St. Patrick's Day is coming up when we record it. That's a lucky day. Andrew McKenzie sounds like he could have some Irish in him, so mm. he's feeling lucky next few months, baby. All right, and as we talked about before, obviously – one of the interesting things about this film is that one of the surfers, one of the trilogy, is no longer. So Griffin obviously went to Quicksilver a few months ago. That makes it annoying for Billabong. Andrew didn't seem too fussed because for him it's like, we just made a surf film. We don't really have like any allegiances. We just tried to make the best film we could with these surfers who are all really good friends. It was actually inspired, he said, by For Whom the Atolls, which was sort of like, it was that film that we did in the Marshall Islands with these three that sort of set them on that path, I think. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of aspects to this. But it's interesting because, like, Billabong, they don't have Griffin anymore, and now they have a film called Trilogy, but you don't have Italo in there, and he's, like, you know, he's your world champ, he's your Olympic world champ, etc. But just a reminder, we do have something coming out with B- Billabong and Italo soon, and that is Stab in the Dark. It's going to be dropping, we believe, May 9th. There's some discussions about that, but it'll be basically late April, early May for a release. And we also just put up a piece on the site that talks about some of Italo's stats from surfing during Stab in the Dark. And I think that they will surprise you. So you can go give a little look at that on the website as well. Well, I'm going to spoil one. I'm going to spoil the title. 63 Waves in an Hour? Yeah. For real? Yeah. Fuck. It was like, it was his friend challenged him to do this. And this, to be clear, I think everything else that I mentioned was recorded by me on Stab in the Dark. This particular one was not. It was during an interview that we asked him um, because we talked about how many waves he was catching. And we asked him, what's the most waves you've ever caught in an hour if you knew? And he's like, oh, yeah, my buddy challenged me to do it. I went out and I caught 63 waves in an hour. And he was like, yeah, I wasn't just like standing up. Like I was like surfing these waves. I landed 15 airs, blah, blah, blah. He showed us some of the footage. It was pretty wild. But um, yeah, so that one we didn't witness in the flesh. 15? Yeah. His ratio is way down for that. I would have guessed it would have been 59. Well, I didn't say he didn't air on every wave. But yeah, his his make ratio on airs is also in this piece. Um, and a lot of good info that should get you excited to watch. Wow. Well, good stuff. It's a low stab in the dark trilogy, unicorns. It's all happening, folks. Good stuff coming your way. Watch the quiet man who became this year's most significant big wave surfer. That's probably going to be the title. It's not live yet. It will be by the time you hear this, but it is a profile, a short profile on Luke Shepardson, the winner of the 2023 Eddie Icow big wave invitational. 
We are dropping this at an interesting time. As we speak, we're about two weeks out from the closing of the big wave season, official big wave season. And when I say official, I mean it's tied to the WSL. Basically, they had the waiting period open for the toe event at Nazare and the paddle event, men's and women at Jaws. There's not too much swell on the horizon at either of those places. Like Portugal has something coming in a week or two that it would be pretty grindy, but if they're really horny to get it out, they could. Um, So it seems like we are at the end of at least the event period, but let's be honest, these event periods exist for a reason. They're trying to get the best waves, and they know that a lot of times those waves don't come after March. So very easy to say that Luke was the guy this year. Mikey, you like this vid? I did. It was really like, I mean, Luke just comes across as such a mellow, humble guy, which from all accounts, he 100% is. Clyde Ical, Eddie's brother, goes on to say that he embodies Eddie, which is, I can't imagine a bigger compliment from a person who is closer to the source. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's a really cool story. Basically, as we know, he's a lifeguard. He was on duty that day. He couldn't even get off that day. Uh, so he, he took a few hours to surf his heats and then in between and even after the event, he was still on. And I just, I just can't imagine going from like, he talks about having wanted to be a uh, professional surfer. He kind of chased the QS for a while, realized that wasn't for him. And then you know, just decided to settle in and get a full-time job once he had a son and he's like a full family man and was presumably just living kind of like a happy, peaceful, domestic life, helping the community, being a lifeguard. And then because he's surfed some really big waves before he gets invited to the eddy and he goes out and you win and it would feel so, I can't even imagine that in his wildest dreams, he thought that could actually happen. Like, of course you think like, oh man, like what if it happened? But there's no part of you that thinks you're going to go out there and beat John Florence, Kai Lenny, Billy Kemper on the day of days at YMA. Like it's, it's unfathomable and he did it. And yeah, it's just, we, for that very reason, wanted to sort of catch up with him and get his story. Yeah. Yeah. And the details he shares in there, like he is just such a quiet, soft-spoken, lovely guy, but he talks about how he had just, it sounded like kind of a beater car. And so to your point, I doubt he was driving up in that thing thinking like, oh yeah, today's the day I win the Eddie. He was probably just like, oh, like I'm going to go get to get a few waves and participate in the Eddie. This is really cool. But he probably wanted to win, but still, I don't, it would be hard to, he called it his wildest dream, I think in the film. So one thing there, he got a new car. It sounds like Kia stepped up and gave him a car. And then he also just talked about how, you know, that Venmo went off after he won because the prize money was pretty weak. It was 10K compared to a much higher amount when Quicksilver was involved and somebody like John John. That I hit up Kuio, who made this film. I'm really trying to find out how much he made on Venmo. What's your What's your guess? You think he made like over 10K on Venmo? I think so. That smile, his energy when he talked <laughs> about that. I think it. I think it was bigger than the check. Okay. You know who else? made some money on this so we obviously partner with betonline.ag they're our betting partner for the year for all things surfing and they had odds up on the eddy and according to them there was one person who bet on luke shepherdson to win and i was recently tipped off to who it may be oh go on it's the brother of a filmer of a very famous surfer from the north shore a very famous surfer from the north shore within surfing a very famous surfer not outside of surfing so much. 
And like his filmer is well known as part of his sort of whole aura and program. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, we heard. Okay, I'm, I'll tell you. It is. Uh, I don't know his name, but his brother's name is Rory Pringle. So ah. it's Rory Pringle, Mason Ho's filmer. It's his brother who won. And apparently he's been trying to get his money out of betonline.ag and there's been some, you know, like, oh, blah, blah, blah. So, because I think he won a lot. So they're trying to figure out how to get that money out. We can maybe text our guy, Zach, and figure out how to make that happen for him because you're the one guy who picks the winner. You deserve a huge come up. Um, So now, Buck, on that, one question for you. We are surfers. We've been surfers our entire lives. We know how iconic it is to win an event like the Eddy, but... You know, like any other person, we're also greedy bastards. So I have a proposition for you. Would you rather win the Eddie and you're an Eddie winner for the rest of your life, or I can hand you a million dollars cash untaxed right now? I'll just take the mill. Really? Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Why? Because then I can just go surf YMA whenever I want. I don't need to just do it one day and like <laughs> get a free Kia. And and yeah no i'd take the mill and just try to be smart with it then just like be able to surf way more if i won the eddie i couldn't surf anymore if I won the eddie i'd still have to sit here and edit articles <laughs> <laughs> fair enough fair enough that's a good way to look at it i was thinking of like when you win the eddie i think your life is complete as far as like achievement goes like i think there's still the whole family side of life which Luke is obviously um, very focused on, but I think as far as like personal achievement, you can feel genuinely fulfilled forever if you win the Eddie. And like, we're both, you know what I mean? Like uh, money is great, but also like we live good lives right now. It's, it would, it would change some things about our lives, but it wouldn't, I don't know. I think I'd take the Eddie. Wow. Okay. I like it. I like it. Um, I wish I could say that. I'm just being honest. I would rather, I would rather <laughs> take the money and then surf like 10, maybe 12 foot set Waimea with a vest on and just burn a bunch of people. And that would be my life. And inflate. <laughs> and inflate that fucking thing. Can a free surfer go the other way? A Dakota Walters case study. Dakota Walters a stab high pony, a free surf pony, a finalist. Is he really a free surfer though? I mean, that's what this story is about. It's he, I think he was focused on that for a while. And then he started going nuts in the, on a QS. He basically the story here is that he was in a QS in Marubra, home of the bra boys. Yes, yes, yes. Nice place. And he got a 10 for a double grab air reverse, kind of almost flippy looking thing. But he broke his ankle on the way out. And so we thought that's an interesting story. One, not many people are getting 10s for double grab air versus in QS finals. And two, has there ever been a surfer who got a 10 and hurt themselves at the same time, at least on an air? We think he's the first. So we did a story about it. And the story is focused on, I think the crux of it is, it talks about how, you know, I think free surfing... It has a very different vibe to it and the way that people present themselves is a little bit differently and um i think we're all familiar with that noah dean quote but dakota talks about how making the ct in the sense is this in a sense the ultimate form of validation for a free surfer like you can't really say shit about somebody after they've made the ct 
And I just thought that was really interesting of a young man. What did you think, Mikey? Because I could have seen him just going the total other way, free surfing. I don't know. Shocked. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like you've still made a few jokes about Ben Dunn and uh, maybe Beat Durbage. So I don't know if that's true. Mm, hey, I can't. No jokes on Beat, but jokes on me. I'm not the one having big parties at the Balter Money. <laughs> getting um, australian rappers to perform for me i love you bead i think that's absolutely true though like to his point i think once you make the ct like i think even watching someone like aton i don't think aton wants to spend his life on the ct like i know he's competitive and he's obviously an incredibly talented surfer but i think for him it is like that level of like okay i did it you know dane obviously did it as well and dane got as far as number four in the world but I don't think Eitan wants to be Kano Igarashi. I think he wants the validation of saying, like, yeah, I'm good enough, I did it, and then after that, I'm going to go and do whatever the fuck I want and drink a thousand beers and do a thousand foot airs. So I think there's something there for sure. I think Dakota, like, his talent level is so high. I think for him, it's going to be, like, can he put on enough weight to to get to that point where he's competing against the big boys because he's so just like long and lanky and and but that comes with a lot of flexibility and and really good like technique on his side but if he can do that and add some power to it like he did this one turn in stab high that uh nate said it was like maybe his favorite thing that he saw anybody do and it was this crazy like layback um kind of fin blow thing almost a little bit similar to the one that he does in this story we're talking about, but front side versus back side. But anyway, it was this crazy turn. And, you know, we were talking, like, what would that have been in a normal heat? Because it got basically a zero and stab high because it wasn't an air. And we were saying, yeah, probably like a nine or a 10 or something because he does, does another air after it. But that turn is like an amazing turn. But if you can add some Dane weight to it, that's where it goes from like an impressive feat of athleticism to just this like holy shit moment that everybody can feel and it makes that like guttural sound and feeling inside of you. And that's where like peak level surfing is. So I think he's got the talent. The question is, can he eat enough uh, chicken burgers with Jack Lindemann? Yeah, that's a tough thing. And he also doesn't drink alcohol. So usually just... Uh, oh, he's fighting an uphill battle. Sinking beers all the time. That will that will lower the center of gravity quite a bit. So <laughs> good read there. Good read. Plenty of the sights humming right now. Go check it out. We have got a few more things coming, too. We've been promising how servers get paid. I'm going to promise again it's coming next Thursday. Uh, I've got a profile coming on an Alaskan tidal bore surfer who claims to cure cancer with weed. It's a long read. It's an interesting one. It's going to take you on quite a wild ride. A few other things that are happening in the surf world. Uh, I mentioned it before, but the waiting period for Jaws and Nazare are about to close. End of March. Dakota hurt himself in a QS event, but it's the QS is kind of heating up. There's a 5,000 in Newcastle this month, as well as a 5,000 in Barbados. And then we have heard whispers of a major change coming to the Challenger Series. We talked about it. We heard about Hall even getting canceled and a few of the other events, like the French one being up in the air. But we will have a story. We're going to sit down with the league, figure out what's happening. And on Monday, I believe we'll have a full update there. So shortly after you hear this, Look out for the site because we'll give you a full CS update. Mikey, does it feel like sin time? I think it's absolutely sin time. Let's do it. Oh, it's sin time. Ah! All right, this is my surf sin. This is Jake. Uh, I'm in South Africa. Been here for more than 20 years. And um, often find myself in a place where there's decent surf, 
and yet I stay at home and I don't go out. Even kind of shitty, but like you can sort of see it through the rain. There's almost nothing, nothing better than like a, a rain surf on a Sunday. Nobody in the water. Decent little peaks. I like that left over there. I do it often. It sucks. Feels like it's uh, an everyman sort of problem. Anyway, it's my surf sin. I suck. Fuck you guys. <laughs> All right, Jake, he calls it out. He calls it out in his message, but a relatable surf sin, if there ever was one, and he gets in, he gets it done quickly. Mikey, what are, what are some of your first thoughts on this? I think that this is probably something that happens a little bit later in most surfers' lives. I'm not there quite yet. I'm sure it happens more when, you know, you have a family and, like, more responsibilities and things going on. To me, my whole day is still based around, like, when am I going to get that session in? You know, whether the waves are good or average or even bad, I'm still thinking, like, I'd, I'd really love to surf today. And I think you're the same as well, Buck. So I think it's a matter of stage and... And I don't, you know, he's he's obviously a little bit older than us, so I'm not judging. But I do hear in his voice a little bit of, like, I don't know, self-sadness. Like, I don't want to, yeah, I don't know. He just seems like he knows he's doing a bad thing, and he doesn't want to do it, but he keeps doing it. He's in this cycle. And I really think that humans, in order to break cycles, we really need to set clear goals for ourselves. So mine is simple. I think that we had somebody on here before we, we talked about um, Chris Christensen and he tries to get 100 days of the year in the snow and 100 days of the year in the ocean. So it looks like uh, our buddy here lives really close to the beach. He was showing us the waves, I think, from his house. Uh, it looks like he lives maybe in Cape Town or thereabouts. So my goal for him is to set a real, realistic goal. I, I wanted to go 200, but if you're really struggling, I think go for 150 um, and you can prorate that from the start of the year so like if it was 150 you can do the math to figure out if you start right now maybe it's down to 100 because we're in march or something like that but set a realistic but also a goal that's going to make you feel good about yourself and then i want you to build out a calendar just it you know if it's 100 days make a 10 by 10 block and just every time you go surf you get to put a big check up there you're going to feel good about yourself you're going to feel healthier you're going to feel happier and then next year you can go even harder try to try to go maybe 20 more days next year and actually turn your surfing life around. Wow. I like it. I like it a lot. I have a few things to get through here. First off, shout out to people who have lived in a new place or a different place for 20 years and didn't adopt the accent. Um, you see a lot of that. And it's never good. But then again, I guess South Africa, congratulations to you people for having an English accent that frankly nobody else would want. It's just undesirable that thing. So I guess well played by everybody there. Um, next thing surfing in the rain. Yeah. I'm kind of into it, but in South Africa on the gray rainy day, fuck no, I don't want that. I'm not, there's no charm in that for me. I feel like I'm gonna get mauled. So can't relate to that. Um, last little point. I really like people signing off surf sins with fuck you. Uh, it just feels right. <laughs> it feels good to hear that. So fuck you if you don't sign off your surf sins. Fuck you. Now the relatable bit to me. I actually think a lot about this. I think that some people 
use surfing you see it mostly on trips or like places that people can kind of go and spend like seasons at i guess it's, it's probably most common where you see like places where somebody will go and spend the season they'll go to some island or some beach and spend however much time there because of surfing and then they do nothing to get themselves on the best waves they don't even really surf a lot maybe they get roped into partying or whatever and it's like surfing just becomes a shitty excuse and you're not getting waves it's like a weird you're like present like oh i'm a surfer and i spend the year here and it's like you avoid the waves it's just this weird thing and i think i don't know i it's a weird thing i don't think he's quite guilty of that i think he probably built his life around surfing he seems to live on the beach and i'm sure he surfs a lot to even feel that guilt so i like your penance mikey i think that's good i think that whole idea is pretty good i have some friends that i think are going for 300 days this year in jersey good effort i think they're keeping pace though waves been pretty good um i'm gonna say he just needs to try to cherry pick the worst day of surfing in the next month and ensure that he spends at least an hour out there that day i mean usually it's the golden rule three waves three waves counts to the session and that's a rule that i often enact i think i got five waves today so for about 30 minutes uh an hour on the worst day of the month so Grinding it out will make you appreciate those less shitty days more, and it's that simple for me. But good good sin, I liked it. Thanks, Jake. Fuck you. Thank you, as always, for listening to The Drop, and of course, for submitting your surf sins. We're getting really good videos from you guys, and there's going to be an Instagram feature coming soon where we may even allow the public to give their own penances for the people who submit their surf sins. It's going to be really fun. So keep sending them in, and that's michael at stabmag.com or bucketstabmag.com. In the meantime, Buck already explained what's coming next week, so... Hope you have a good one. Hope you get some waves. Hope you're getting out at least 150 times, but realistically, 200 times a year is, I think, where we should all be trying to hit. And yeah, with that, over and out. Fuck you too, Jake. (laughs)